everybody, this is Bob Barker with the AGC of Wisconsin, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast, Forward Construction. Today we're going to talk about our favorite subject, the coronavirus. And very pleased today to have Tom Shan with Baker Tilly with us, Josh Marin with Park Bank, and Derek Allen, AGC's general counsel. So, um, Tom, why don't we start with you? Um, why don't you uh, give us a uh, um, your title and uh, brief explanation about Baker Tilly and your contact information. Thanks, Bob. Uh, yeah, this is Tom Shan, and um, I'm the partner in charge of our construction real estate group here in Wisconsin. Um, we're a full-service full uh, accounting and advisory fir- firm, and our team, which consists of 100-plus people on it, work uh, almost 100% with uh, contractors and real estate developers of some sort. Um my contact info, I'm going to give you my phone number. It's 608-240-2587. And my email address is tom.shahan at bakertilly.com. Um, thanks, Bob. And Shahan spelled S-H-E-A-H-A-N. Right, Tom? You, you got it. Thank I you, Bob. It. Okay. All right, Josh. You bet. Uh, thanks, Bob. Uh, Josh Marin, Park Bank. I'm a senior vice president and chief banking officer with the company. Uh, Park Bank is a local Dane County uh, financial institution, been around for uh, just over 50 years in the Madison market. And we've got uh, 11 different locations and uh, recently uh, uh, surpassed a billion dollars in assets here uh, last year. So um, serving the, the Dane County and really southern Wisconsin area for uh, business clients, uh, individuals, and uh the community as a whole. Um, you can get a hold of me, 608-278-2821, or by email, jmarron at parkbank.com, and I'll go ahead and spell that. It's J-M-A-R-R-O-N at uh, parkbank.com. Great. So um, Derek Allen is our general counsel. Um, Derek, why don't you give everybody a brief description of your duties at AGC and your contact info? Sure. Um, I'll start with the contact info. Uh, Derek.Allen at AGCWI.org. Uh, D-E-R-E-K period A-L-L-E-N at AGCWI.org. Um, and then my phone number is 608-490-3226. Um, my description at the AGC, at least for the last couple of weeks, has mainly been answering questions about um, the CARES Act, FICRA, um, those type of things. So I've been doing that quite a bit the last few days, and um, hopefully we can clarify some things with this podcast as well. Okay, great. So, Derek, um, uh, it's a great lead-in. Uh, I'm going to have you start out with um, um, basically background of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act here and after FICRA, I guess. But uh, there's a lot of names for it, I know, going around. But um, that's the most appropriate for the, for this um, podcast. So um, as we know, the FICRA was uh, passed in mid-March. Um, it's about 43 pages, effective April 1st, expires on December 31st. So Derek, why, why don't you go into some of the details as far as who's covered and uh, in particular the emergency paid sick leave and then the extended family leave um, portion. Sure. Um, you got the acronym correct. Uh, some people think the F stands for different things, but it is Families First. Um, and it covers really three buckets of people, people that are um, 
sick, either confirmed COVID-19 cases or think that they might have COVID-19. So that's one bucket. Um, the second bucket is people caring for an individual that thinks um, they have COVID-19 or that has COVID-19. And then the third group would be parents or other guardians whose kids are off of school and they need someone to care for them. Um, if you are in, um, and, and it only covers employees or employers with less than 500 people. Um, so that's a big caveat. But if you're an employer less than 500 people, a private employer, um, you are going to be covered to some extent by FICRA. Um, if you are in the boat where an employee is actually diagnosed with COVID-19 or thinks they have COVID-19, um, they should obviously not be coming in, into work. You should evaluate whether they are able to do their work um, from home. If they can do that, then they're not covered by this. But if they are not able to um, actually do their work, which obviously you're going to see a lot in the construction industry, um, then they're eligible for up to two weeks full pay plus health insurance um, under FICRA. And again, that's if they have um, a diagnosed case of COVID-19 or think they have it. Uh, something that's been clarified in the last week or two is what type of documentation will be necessary. Um, all of those people um, that think they might have it should reach out to their doctor. And to be re reimbursed for that, the employer will probably have to produce um, documentation from a medical provider um, that says this person has been advised to stay home um, and that it's related to COVID-19. And that related to COVID-19 part is important. Um, and no one needs to say that. I've, I've run across some where um, medical professionals are getting so busy that they're just, they're not testing people. They're just saying stay home. Um, that's okay under FICRA, but it does need to say that it's related to COVID-19. It's not just enough to say stay home. Um, it should say stay home related to COVID-19, and then you'll be covered there. Again, that's two weeks full pay if you're in that um, boat. If you are in the bucket where you need to stay home or an appointment to stay home to take care of a, a child, that can go up to 12 weeks. A um, couple caveats there. One is that employee will have had to have been with you for at least a month to qualify. Um, and the other parent or another guardian can't be available to watch the children. So you can't have both parents at home collecting um, a to watch the same set of kids. It's, it's one or the other. It's up to the parents to decide which one's going to stay home. Um, but once that decision has been made for a particular time period, only one parent can be there. Um, and then that pay is, again, up to 12 weeks, and that's at two-thirds the person's regular rate. The sick pay is, is 100%. The um, taking care of your children because they're off school is two-thirds. Um, Similar to an actual diagnosis, you do need some documentation. Now, that could be an email from the school, a letter from the school. Um, all those went out about a month ago. So make sure that as the employer, if someone's going to do the school care choice, that you have that documentation as well. Um, so those are the two full pay, two-thirds pay scenarios. Um, we talked about the documentation. One important thing uh, for employers with less than 50 people there is a waiver if you can show um, or if you can attest that essentially you can't make money, you can't go, you can't run business um, if people are taking the 12 week leave. Um, so if that's going to put you in a really tough spot, then you don't have to offer that piece of it um, with a showing that it's essentially going to put you out of business or a high risk that it might put you out of business. So, so Derek, the, the, the employee paid sick leave, isn't there 
two two situations there where an employee can take up to two weeks or 80 hours um, if if they have the uh, self quarantine due to COVID or they're subject to the quarantine or they have you know some symptoms related to COVID and have medical advice to to stay home. Yeah, those are the categories. So your typical case, what you find is someone calls in um, or at work, they start to feel sick, they go home. Um, as soon as they do that, then they are under having the symptoms, seeking medical care. So they're under that that qualifier. Um, but what they do need to do is reach out to their doctor, medical professional, um, and take their advice from there. At the end of that, you're obviously either going to get a test that's going to be positive or negative, um, or they're going to say, you, you know, you have mild symptoms, so just stay at home um, because of COVID-19. We're not going to test you, but just wait it out at home and see how that goes. You're going to want to get that piece of documentation um, eventually. It's not enough for someone to just say, I think I have symptoms, go home, and then do nothing um, because you're not going to have the documentation that you're going to need to get reimbursed at, at the end of this. So then the, on the uh, the full reimbursement, there's a max on, on the daily pay and then for the total pay of Five eleven and five thousand one hundred ten dollars max. Right, that's right. So if you're under the full pay, it's capped out at five hundred eleven dollars per day. Um, you can get up to two weeks. So multiply that by ten, then you hit your cap of um, a little over five thousand dollars. Something important with that is your obligation under FICRA is to pay regular wages and contribute to health insurance. Um, five hundred eleven dollars is just the wages. If you pay above and beyond that for health insurance, all of that will still be able to be reimbursed. Okay, and then for the the other reasons related to child care and taking care of others, um, there's a $200 a day per max, right? And two thousand. That's right. Can you get into the required payments a little bit on this? Sure. So what you're um, what you're obligated to pay are your regular wages and health insurance contributions. So that's or health insurance payments. Um, most employers, that's pretty easy to figure out. Um, it, some of our members, it's a little trickier in the union context, um, where you have some different fringe benefits. You have you don't specifically pay for someone's health insurance. You contribute to a fund. Um, you got union dues. You got those sort of things. So, generally speaking, the the way that works is dues um, and any savings come out of someone's wages. So that will still be done the same. You pay the person their their wages they get on the check. You make the same deductions from wages, which would typically be dues or savings. Um, those should still be made. Your health insurance contribution, um, and this is a, a bit of a gap in the law at the beginning, is what do you do with those? Um, and the, the law that's been clarified since then is most likely you continue making your health insurance um, multi-employer plan um, payments, but no other fringe benefits. Now, every... every um, Fund is a little bit different, so you should confirm that with your fund. But generally speaking, you, you still will be responsible for the health care fringes, uh, but nothing else. What if an employee has money taken out for a 401k or some other sort of garnishment? Um, those can still come out. So garnishments will come out the same as they always did. Um, 401k, that's that's something that they're electing to put money into. So that, that would come out of wages just the same as it always has been. Okay, and then, so there's a piece there that they can get a tax credit on this? Yeah, they can get a tax credit, and the good news is it's 100%. So if you're paying qualifying wages and health care contributions under this, well, you, the way to get that 
they designed it to get as quickly as possible is you're allowed to offset that by your payroll taxes. So let's say you pay $5,000 out under FICRA. Um, the next time you go to pay payroll taxes, if you owe $10,000, then you just send $5,000 in and you can reimburse yourself that way. Um, in the event, it'd probably be pretty rare, but I guess it's possible that your FICRA payments are more than your payroll taxes, then there's a program to get reimbursed from the IRS for the extra. They say that that will move pretty quickly. I have my doubts about that, but they do have a reimbursement program um, in place in case your payroll taxes don't cover your FICRA payments. Tom, do you have anything to add from a tax standpoint related to that? No, if, if their uh, employers are using that and they are go going after getting that credit back when they're, they're filing their tax forms, um, it, it could also interplay with the em employee retention credit as well, which is also designed to be kind of a, an offset against some of the payments that they're making to the IRS, and that is also refundable. And I'll hit, hit on that in a little more detail later. Okay. All right. So from a... I think, Derek, you covered the documentation, but I think one thing that I kind of gleaned out a lot of this information is really the need for employers to um, keep good records and document um, all of this for future reference in case the IRS comes knocking, right? That's correct, and they've been pretty clear about that, that, that they are going to, um, I think the, the money is kind of get shoveling out here pretty quick, but there is going to be a, a reckoning, and I think they're going to go back through things, and the documentation is, is really important and I think the the biggest scenario is where it might come up is someone calls in and they says they're, they're sick the employer does the right thing so stay home don't worry about it you're covered by FICRA and then that person never reaches out to a doctor they just hunker down at home they have mild symptoms they get over it uh, you gotta have that person reach out to the doctor and get some sort of note telling them to be at home um, and get a copy of that because that's without that you, you might be short of the documentation when you go back to get these tax credits. Okay, all right. So let's move on to the the uh, family and medical leave extension. Sure, and that's that's that bucket I talked about. That's for taking care, basically watching your kids while they're out of school. Um, like I talked about, a couple of the important things there is only one parent or guardian can be off at a time. Um, another important piece of that is for those employers that do have less than fifty people. Uh, and they start looking around, and key employees are potentially going to be out for for three months. There is a waiver program available if you attest that, hey, if this person stays home, um, I don't think we're going to be able to swing it as a business. If that's the case, um, you don't apply for that. You just deny it on your end, keep the documentation on your end, and then if the IRS or Department of Labor comes knocking later, then you can say, here's why we made that decision. Uh, but you don't need to affirmatively apply for that in the first instance. So if you think you apply, um, check the law, make sure you're, you're dotting the I's, crossing the T's, uh, but you don't need to affirmatively reach out to the government to let them know you're doing that. Um, you should have your documentation in case they come and ask you afterwards. So the extended FMLA covers employers with 50 or more employees? So if, you, if it's 50 or more, if you have between 50 and 500 employees, you, you're not eligible for that, that waiver. They went with, um, you got to draw the line somewhere, they just used 50 people. So if you have 51, um, it's not available to you no matter the circumstances. If you have 49, uh, it is. Um, and again, the pay on that is a little bit less. You're only eligible to get two-thirds uh, for up to 12 weeks. And if that person has previously used FMLA, 
um, for something unrelated to COVID-19, that eats into their 12 weeks. So if they've already used eight weeks of FMLA, they could only get four weeks under under FICRA. Why don't we move on to uh, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. So um, that was a little bit more complicated, uh, about 900 pages of um, statutory language, and that was the uh, $2.2 trillion stimulus package um, that was passed. And um, there's a few aspects of that um, related to payroll taxes, employee retention credit, the loans, and unemployment. Um, Tom, why don't you hit on the, some of the payroll tax deferral issues there? Yeah, yeah, and commonly known as the CARES Act. Um, there's, there's two credits um, or available deferral programs that I'm going to hit on. One is the payroll tax deferral, and the other being the employee retention credit. Um, both of these um, really do interact with what Josh will cover, which is the PPP loan program. And the reason why that's important is that if you're doing the PPP program and, and um, applying for the loan and getting those proceeds, then there's limited applicability for these uh, payroll tax deferral and the employee retention credit. And that's very important. Uh, the general rule of thumb, and I wouldn't say it's the hard rule of thumb, is, is 500 employees because there are certain um, companies that can even uh, apply and be qualified for PPP if they're over the 500. But I'll leave that to Josh. So I'll hit on the, the payroll tax deferral initially, which what, what is this? It's basically from April 1st through the end of 2020 for the employer portion of Social Security. So generally 6.2% of, of uh, qualified wages are, are, are eligible to be deferred and paid to the IRS 50% at the end of 2021 and 50% at the end of 2022. This is not a loan forgiveness program. This is purely just an ability to, to manage cash flow to allow you to pay that 6.2% employer FICA portion to the IRS in 2021 and 2022. Now, um, if you are getting a loan under the PPP program, you can still qualify for this for a period of time. And this is some new guidance that the, the uh, SBA put out over the weekend. In essence, from the from April 1st through the, the date that you get the loan forgiven, assuming that you do get it forgiven, you're still allowed to take those employer FICA payments and defer them to 2021 and 2022. But as soon as your loan is forgiven, then you have to start making those payments again. So there's still uh, kind of an interplay with how the PPP loan program goes. So that is available for most employers. We are definitely seeing it for employers with over 500 employee, employees. They're using this and will be deferring that employer 6.2 share um, for the, the rest of this year. Um, the other uh, is the employee retention credit, which is um, a little more complicated credit to compute. And I'll reiterate um, the, what what Bob and Derek have said related to um, making sure that you do have good documentation around how you do some, some of these computations, because that's going to be vital. But the employee retention credit is um, generally going to be not available if you get the PPP program. So we're, we're viewing it and seeing it mostly used by the larger employers. And I think the simplest way to think about this credit is, is that if you're still pay, paying your employees at 100%, they're not working at 100% or not working at all, then generally 
this credit may be available to you. Um, so they go through a, a couple of different hoops to, in order to compute it. But in essence, if you have uh, less than 100 employees, you fall into a cer certain bucket. If you have more, you got a different bucket to come up with the computation. Um, you have to look at uh, have you, again, either let people uh, not work but still pay them or let's say they're working 60 percent, and but you're still paying them at 100 percent, then you may still qualify for this credit. Um, that's one section, or it could be a decline in gross receipt receipts, and there's some tests related to that. Again, it's pretty complicated, but I want you to know it's there. Um, and what 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 the credit really is is it's 50 percent of the first 10,000 qualified wages per employee. So if you had paid um, you know 10 employees uh, 10,000 each. Um, to get up to $100,000 of qualified wages, potentially you have a $50,000 credit available. Um, again, there's a lot of steps to get through. There's the computations that go along with it. And then your credit, which I touched on before, what would be available to you when you file your 941s. And so, again, it's, it's in essence 10000 of eligible wages per employee, and it's a 50% credit. Um, so I, again, the simplest way is a, it's a complicated credit. I'd say most of the employers who are under the 500 employee mark are going for the PPP loan program rather than this. But the large employers are looking at this and, and we're seeing some movement to calculate this and they'll start taking the credit in the second quarter of 2020. Again, the simplest way is to just think about, am I paying employees full, full rate, but they're working something other than that, anywhere from zero to 100%. Great. So that's a great lead-in to um, the PPP, Payroll Protection Program. Josh, um, I know you and Park Bank have been really involved in this. Um, before we, we went on the air, can you, you were talking about some statistics related to um, employers accessing PPP, in particular construction firms. Um, can you just hit that before you get into the details? Sure, Bob. Thanks. I appreciate uh, appreciate you leading into uh, into the PPP program. Um, we, we were talking before uh, before we got on about where we were with um, um, sort of how these funds have been allocated uh, up to this point. This program opened uh, the first part of April and has been open since um, through uh, through the 13th of April. We've got um, you know just over a million loans that were inputted into this program. The original bucket of this funding was $349 billion, and we have uh, used just under $250 billion. That was as of the 13th. But it is interesting to note that um, of the approved dollars, about $34 billion um, fall into the construction and professional fields. So the money is, is, is definitely helping uh, that industry manufacturing is slightly on the heels of construction, and then professional scientific and technical services is really right there with those three industries. They represent uh, the top three in approved dollars through this program. So um, I know that certainly affects your listeners, and uh, it's important to note that the money is there uh, for them to access. So, uh, you know, just, just to kind of... Uh, 30,000 foot on the PPP or Paycheck Protection Program. Um, it's, it's truly in place to uh, provide funding to small businesses in the U.S. that have been affected negatively by uh, the economic downturn related to COVID. 
Uh, all businesses are encouraged to apply, and in, in the past, the SBA has limited the class code or business code that has been able to uh, access MBA, SBA funding. Um, but these have been opened up to nonprofits, uh, veterans organizations, tribal business concerns, uh, and, and also sole proprietors, uh, self-employed individuals, uh, independent contractors as well. Uh, primarily, the, the rule of thumb, as we've heard over and over again, is that 500 employee count number. There is an exception with the with the guidance now through the SBA to allow certain industries um, that have more than 500 employees apply for these loans uh, as well. So there's a specific class code that uh, the SBA has allowed exceptions on, and, and those may include uh, hotels, uh, franchise businesses that have many locations, um, and restaurants. So the loans themselves are available directly through uh, financial institutions across the United States. The SBA has delegated um, really anyone that is uh, federally insured, including fintechs, to be able to provide these loans to businesses uh, all over the U.S. Uh, and our territories. So they are 100% guaranteed by the uh, U.S. Small Business Administration. Loan amounts can be up to $10 million. And as I said, every business is encouraged to apply, even those that maybe were not uh, included in previous SBA lending guidelines. The loans themselves are 100% forgivable. Originally, they're written as two-year notes. Every lender has to use the exact same uh, rate on these loans, which is 1%, uh, and the first six months of payments are essentially deferred. And the idea here is obviously that they're, they're uh, forgivable. So in the end, if everything is up the way it's supposed to, the loans are forgiven. The interest carry is also paid by the government, and there isn't anything left uh, in a perfect world. So um, the way that the calculation exists now uh, is basically you take your, your last year's payroll, uh, average that out. You take um, that number, uh, divide it by 12, and then multiply it by two and a half times. That is your, uh, in very round uh, numbers, amount of your loan that you can apply for. Uh, payroll costs include salary wages, commissions, uh, tips, employee benefits, uh, including vacation, parental, family, medical and sick leave, um, group health care benefits, uh, state and local taxes and compensation, and then for uh, sole proprietors and independent contractors, their wages, commissions, income, uh, and net earnings uh, derived from uh, their businesses. These are capped at 100000 for each employee, which is important when you're uh, understanding your calculation of your loan amount, because that is something that will be important when you go sub to submit to your, uh, your lender that uh, you've excluded employees that make in excess of 100000 um, Once the loans are secured through your bank, like I said, they are 100% guaranteed by the SBA, and then you have eight weeks from the time of, uh, of disbursement to essentially use those funds on payroll-related expenses, as well as any uh, rent, um, utilities, and mortgage interest expenses you had in place prior to uh, February 15th. And as the guidance exists now, 75% uh, of proceeds from your PPP loan need to be used towards qualified payroll expenses, uh, with the remaining 25% uh, going towards those, those three things I spoke about, rent, utilities, and uh, uh, mortgage interest carry. So uh, once the eight weeks is up, that's when you can start submitting back to uh, your institution 
for forgiveness. And essentially that calculation uh, will be based on uh, your, you know, the number of staff that you have uh, maintained over that period and or increased, uh, your level of payroll, uh, and then how many people you've rehired to restore uh, your employee count back to what it was. So that's, that's really the, the PPP program uh, in sort of a long-winded explanation. I won't spend as much time on, on the other loan that's available, the uh, idle loan through the SBA. That, that's a, a little bit less well-known, but uh, uh, certainly beneficial to the people that have been applying for it. And that is actually directly through the SBA. Um, and it, it really is in effect for the same purposes uh, that the PPP loan is, other than um, you get a $10,000 advance on that loan up front, which is forgivable. Um, and then you have a loan up to $2 million uh, with the SBA directly. So um, both loans obviously are there for businesses to use, and I encourage that uh, they certainly talk to uh, their local financial institution. Uh, if that happens to be Park Bank, that's great, but uh, also involve uh, you know, legal counsel and their uh, accounting professional as well to help them with all these calculations. Thanks, Josh. So, um, on the just one question quickly: the um, employees that make over a hundred thousand are they excluded completely, or is it just the amount over a hundred thousand? Correct. The amount over a hundred thousand okay. is what is excluded in the calculation. Okay. All right. All right. Tom, do you have anything to add from a tax or otherwise standpoint related to the PPPs? No. Well, I I just say um, to Josh's point, there's been a lot of loans. Um, originated already and funds are being dispersed uh, currently. We've seen that over the last uh, five or six days. And so the, there's been a, a series of rounds from the SBA clearing up some of the questions related to the forgiveness piece. Um, so I'd encourage everybody to watch closely the Q&As that the SBA put out that address some of the specific things on what uh, can be included and what needs to be excluded, particularly when it comes to that 25% non-payroll cost items. Um, because I think that, that loan uh, forgiveness piece is going to be um, very tricky, complicated. Um, and again, back to the documentation piece, I think you're going to want to have that available, even though ultimately it's between the borrower and SBA. Um, you're going to want to have that documentation supporting that, that, um, that forgiveness amount. So, um, Tom, maybe this is for you, Tom, but I know we have members that work in multiple states. Is there, I mean, uh, is there rules in other states that impact um, what we're talking about here that they need to look into? Uh, no, not not on the states. It's it's really it's at a federal level okay. that where you're computing it. Okay. Um, and so th there are aggregation rules um, and affiliated rules. So so you got to look at all your companies together if, if you do have multiple entities. Um, when you look at the 500 count, you needed to bring it together, and then when you look at where the loan sits, you you need to look at it. Um, uh, kind of combined. So there are some related party rules that they get into, but state to state, um, for, as far as what we've seen, there's, there's nothing unusual uh, there. So um, the one last piece I wanted Derek to cover is the unemployment provisions in the CARES Act. Derek, can you hit that real quick? Sure. And it's actually pretty timely because um, it passed the Wisconsin, some of it passed the Wisconsin legislature yesterday, but um, the I guess two two key things there are who is in who is eligible for unemployment um, in the first place, and that would be people that are available to work but don't have work available to them. That's that's the forty thousand foot definition. So if you're sick and you can't go to work because of that, you're probably under FICRA. 
if you're healthy and your employer just doesn't have work for you, um, whether it's COVID-19 related or not, um, then you're looking at unemployment. Um, under the CARES Act, what the federal government is going to do, um, effective as of April 1st, is add $600 per week to every state's unemployment benefit, uh, which can be a fair amount of money. In Wisconsin, for example, uh, people cap out, cap out at about $370. Um, those people will be eligible to get $970 um, once they get that CARES Act, um, extra $600. A um, couple other things about the legislation is in Wisconsin, where you're uh, available to have 26 weeks, that's been expanded by 13 weeks, so you can now get 39 weeks of unemployment in Wisconsin. Um, there's no longer, as of last night, and I expect Governor Evers, to the extent he hasn't signed it already, will be doing it very shortly. Um, there's no longer a one-week waiting period. Um, the job search requirements are very lax compared to what they were Um from a practical standpoint, you are eligible for that as of April 1st. Um, it's based on whenever you, you stopped working, regardless of when you apply. So the state of Wisconsin is urging people uh, that have been out of work the last week or two to hold off on applying. They'll still get the money back to when they stopped working, uh, but they're just so overloaded right now that they don't want people to apply quite yet if, if it's a newer claim. Um, that's kind of it on that front, but... The upshot of it is unemployment is going to pay a lot more um, for probably the rest of the year than, than it did before uh, COVID-19 and the CARES Act came into effect. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's seen the uh, unemployment claim numbers here in, in the last two months, but really scary um, kind of what's going on out, out there compared to last year. And I'm not sure how the system's going to handle all this. But anyway, guys, I want to thank you for participating today, and I just want to um, have a little editorial here about um, how proud I am of our members and how they've responded to, um, uh, especially the, the, the need to have COVID response plans, protective equipment for their employees. Um, but, you know, the real heroes in all this are the craft workers that are out there working and, and with the boots on the ground. And, and um, you know, I was talking to a member this morning who um, was telling me that one of their craft workers' wives actually made homemade masks for all the guys out in the field and uh, had taken some, uh, I think he mentioned N95 furnace material and sewed together some homemade masks. So there's a lot of creativity going on out there. And, um, you know, I guess the final thing is that, you know, a lot of these things that we're talking about today are are minimums. um, And we need to take care of our craft workers. Um, We can't afford to have a 30 to 40 percent reduction in our skilled workforce like we had back in the recession. So I just encourage everybody to um, go above and beyond and trying to figure out how to care of their people uh, through this whole mess. And uh, anyway, um, that's enough of me. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today and enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for listening to the Forward Construction Podcast. To access this and other AGC podcasts, go to the AGC website at www.agcwi.org or download directly at Google Play or Apple Podcasts. For more information on this podcast or to get involved, please contact Bob Barker at the AGC office.